The Old Testament scripture reading for this morning, as well as the sermon text, comes from Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 43. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the regulations for the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. Any slave you have bought may eat of it after you have circumcised him. But a temporary resident and a hired worker may not eat of it. It must be eaten inside one house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised. Then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat of it. The same law applies to the native-born and to the alien living among you. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. Sends the scripture reading for this morning. Let us go now to our God in prayer. Our Lord, we come before you confessing and believing that this indeed is your word that we put ourselves before and under. We pray that you would use your word by the power of your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and our lives. And indeed, help us to remember what it is that we believe and why we believe it, and more so how it affects our lives, even this day and in the life of the church. Lord, we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus our Savior. Amen. Being exclusive about anything is wrong. I'd like you just to think about that statement for a moment. Uh, Being exclusive about anything is wrong. That is one of the marks of our society that we live in today. It's one of the core beliefs of the people that you meet on the street and rub shoulders with. They will believe and live in light of this supposed truth, allowing this particular idea to control everything else in their lives. Uh, A number of years ago, uh, Josh McDowell wrote a book addressing this particular issue of exclusivity or the the idea that we cannot be exclusive in a book he wrote called The New Tolerance that speaks about how society will not tolerate anything except being exclusive, or uh, excuse me, society will uh, will now tolerate anything except being exclusive. McDonald will basically go on to say that today we live in what's called a postmodern world, which means Uh, you know, at the basic level, that anything goes. What's true for you isn't necessarily true for me. What I believe matters to me personally, and what you believe matters to you personally, you can believe anything you want to believe, and I can believe anything I want to believe, and we can all live in light of our own personal truths, and everyone will be happy and clappy, and we can tolerate anyone and everything. And we'll all live in happy and perfect harmony as long as you don't tell me that your way is the only way. As long as you tolerate me and my lifestyle, we'll be okay. 
To be intolerant about another person's belief is simply unacceptable. Or another way of putting it is to say this. To be exclusive in your claims is unacceptable. And this belief affects how we live. What you believe always affects how you live. And so we live in a day and age where one of the greatest sins, or at least a society uh, would define sin for us, is to be excluding uh, others from anything. You know, no one can be left out of anything intentionally or you're the devil in disguise. Uh, you know, if you say that Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father and that not all roads lead to heaven, you're going to be opposed violently for these particular claims because it's an exclusive claim when you say there's only one way to the Father. Being exclusive about anything is seen as wrong. And this plays out uh, itself in other ways as well. I'm sure you can think of your own examples, but one that always has stuck with me is that my sister's children have a policy at their school that if a child wants to have a birthday party and invite some of his or her friends from the class, they have to invite the whole class. Uh, no one can be intentionally excluded because to be excluded, again, is this greatest sin in our day and age. This is the rule society lives by today. I mean, this is so much the case that if you were born a male and you want to be included in the female gender, if you self-identify yourself as a female, then it doesn't matter how God has designated you, how he has created you. You're now welcome to be included in the female portion of society. Nothing's stopping you from doing so anymore. Not even nature itself. To say, no, you don't belong in that group is offensive because it's exclusive then. Which is why today's text, and especially its application to us, is extremely offensive to some. Uh, right at the outset, it will exclude many from communion with God at his table while welcoming a specific group who are welcome to partake in the benefits of redemption, and there will be a, a, a wide opening and allowance and tolerance of sitting at his table. And yet the exclusivity of it will offend many. Our text opens up this morning, and the first thing that we should see is who can participate in the Passover and who is excluded. Who can participate in the Passover and who is excluded? It's interesting, our, our text opens up this morning and it starts out uh, with what should strike you as a bit odd and unusual. Uh, the exodus has begun already. Egypt has experienced the pain of the final judgment to fall upon them. This final plague of death has befallen them and has been laid upon them as the text has been building to for nine chapters this particular happening ever since God told Moses at the burning bush exactly what he was going to do, basically saying, I'm doing all of this so that my people will be brought out of the land of bondage so that they can worship me rightly. Everything in Exodus has been building toward this moment of leaving Egypt. The text has been building this way for a long time. We've been anticipating it for weeks. And finally, in verses 33 through 42, it happened. The people of Israel leave the land of Egypt just the way God promised it would all happen. God delivers his people. 
He makes good on his redemption and deliverance of the people that he has promised their forefather Abraham would come for them. He keeps his covenant promises. He is faithful from generation to generation, and he will always be faithful to his promises. The ball seems to be finally set in motion again, and the reader and the hearer are ready to move on. You know, what happens next? Where will Israel go? How does this all unfold here in the future? And suddenly we're right back to instructions about the Passover feast. Again, that may not seem odd to you, but Israel, they're already walking now. They've already begun their journey. Their feet have hit the road, which means Israel has already celebrated the Passover meal. It's done. They've already uh, slaughtered the lamb and shed its blood and put it on the doorpost and eaten its flesh. Israel has already kept God's word in regard to the manner of keeping the Passover in this way. It has been done all as the Lord has commanded them to do. And suddenly God says, as they are leaving Egypt, oh, by the way, when you keep this Passover from here on out, I want you to be careful about who is eating it. It needs to be very clear who can and cannot participate in this holy meal. And suddenly becomes really important that we know these things as we go forward. And the question is why? What has changed since God initially gave them this Passover meal that he now, after they have begun their journey, will add further instructions about the meal? What's different now that God would speak to his people again about it? Well, you'll remember, people of God, back in verse 38, God tells us who all is leaving the land of Egypt. No longer is it exclusively Israelites. No longer is it just the children of Abraham, but a mixed multitude is going up with them as they leave Egypt behind them. A mixed multitude goes with them, meaning there are all kinds of other people going with them who are not just the children of Abraham. For one thing we know, Egyptians are going with them. Egyptians are looking around their homeland saying, what reason do we have to stay in this particular place any longer? The plagues have turned this paradise, this glorious kingdom, into nothing but a barren wasteland. The river has killed the fish because it was turned to blood. The crops have all been eaten by locusts or smashed down with hail. The land is now devoid of uh, the normal food to sustain life. And historically, and you can see this in any known history, uh, a shift in uh, people moving a land, a food shortage or a famine is a time when people will move on, when they will leave their homeland, they will leave their homes in hopes of finding something better. It happens when tragedy strikes in great numbers, like in a plague. And that's what you're seeing here. Egyptians are saying, the fish of the Nile are dead. The crops are gone. The livestock have all been killed by disease or hail. And my firstborn son is dead. Their prosperous world is now void of every good thing that it once held. And so many of these people who are migrating, who are going up with Egypt, are leaving Israel. They're moving on because Egypt doesn't hold the glory it once held for them. And historians believe Egyptians aren't the only ones who are leaving this land. Many commentaries argue that while everyone is mourning the loss of their children and Israel is sent out, that the chances are really high that other slaves from other countries are seeking an opportunity to escape. 
You know, everyone is distracted and lots of people are moving on, so they slip out of the land of Egypt as well in the midst of all this chaos. You know, uh, there's no need for the Northern Railroad in this particular situation. They just slip into the hordes of this vast people who are moving out, and they'll be gone, and they will be unnoticed for a time because their masters are in mourning. And Israel is leaving anyway. They can just slip through the cracks. So some are in this assembly who are leaving for greener pastures, Some are leaving to escape the bonds of slavery, and yet surely some are leaving because they believe in what they have just seen. Some of the Egyptians and foreigners in their midst have seen the signs and wonders of God in the last few weeks, and they beheld with their eyes the majesty and glory of God Almighty. And so they leave, hoping to be included and integrated into this people of God And God will account for all of these people in these verses as he moves forward, as they go forward. Every single group who is leaving Egypt will be accounted for. God says in verse 47, when you celebrate the Passover in years to come, all the congregation of Israel shall celebrate it. All the people of God, all who have been called out by my mighty hand to worship me, to bow down before me. This meal, this Passover meal will be for you. There's no distinction or exceptions in that particular group. If you are my people, this table is set for you because this meal is for all of God's people to share with and partake of. It's the same thing we've seen already throughout Exodus 12. Exodus 12, verse 3 says, Tell all the congregation of Israel. Notice that's all the people of God. The whole people of God. They shall take a lamb for each household. And then verse 6 in the second half of the verse says, The whole assembly shall kill their lambs at twilight. They're all doing the same exact work and thing together. Verse 16, on the first day you shall hold a holy assembly, meaning a gathering of all the people of God together because it is for them that this Passover and feast of unleavened bread is given. You see, the whole point is that they have all been rescued together so they are to corporately celebrate what God has done for them, how he has rescued and saved them. We don't often think of salvation in these kinds of terms, at least not In America, what is emphasized in the church is your own personal experience. We're taught that our individual journeys of faith are what matter the most, how we personally came to know Jesus or came into the life of the church. And we do need to have a personal relationship with Christ. I'm not undermining that at all. But the emphasis in the church is the corporate nature of that salvation. Philip Graham Riken says that the New Testament almost always speaks in the plural when talking about this salvation. Very interesting to think about. I mean, just listen to these words from Titus chapter 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not me, not you. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs, plural, according to the hope of eternal life. 
In other words, God didn't just redeem you. He's redeeming a whole people and is continuing to redeem a people from every nation and tribe and tongue. And as the church gathers to celebrate that redemption, even it is, it is here articulated in the text, it is a celebration for the whole people of God. There's no such thing as individual Christianity. We are part of a body of Christ, which is why regular faithful worship together is vital to the life of God's people, this coming together, the assembling of the people together. God calls his people to faithfully participate in the fellowship brought by his table in the Passover and in the Lord's Supper and in this deliverance from evil. And yet God also says, as he is talking about these people and this assembly and who he has redeemed, God also says some of these ones who are coming out of Egypt with you, they do not belong at my table. God has never been shy about including Gentiles into his chosen people. He demonstrates that all throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. He makes even provisions for it here. If these Gentiles and strangers who are coming out of Egypt with you will be circumcised because they believe upon uh, 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 the God who has delivered them from Egypt, but not uh, 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 they may join the feast as well. He allows for the inclusion of the Gentiles, but not everyone is permitted to partake of this table. And God lists four different groups of people here besides the people of Israel. He talks about the foreigner. Someone who's from a different land, who's just passing through. This is, uh, you know, someone who is not going to be remaining with the people of God. And he talks about the temporary resident, someone who has actually come and takes up uh, a living there with the Israelites, but it's only for a time. Uh, he has no intention of joining the people of God and becoming one of them. He's planning on leaving and returning to his home country. He talks about the hired worker whose plan would be the same, or the foreigner who takes up permanent residence with the people of God, but again, who is keeping his own religion, who is not seeking to be a part of the people of God. And God says if a sojourner is willing to be circumcised in all his ma uh, males, if the slave is circumcised, then this table, this fellowship, this communion belongs to them. It is for them, just as it will be for the slave's that you purchase and circumcise. But if the stranger is planning on moving on, if they have no intention of joining themselves to the people of God and becoming members of the covenant community by bap or by a circumcision, then do not eat this particular meal with them. This table is not for them. It isn't for them. They are to be excluded from this meal. And we look at this exclusion from our cultural setting and say, isn't that really being a bit restrictive here, God? Isn't that being a bit harsh? And why? Why is this such a big deal? What is it about this particular meal that makes it so important to exclude some from the setting at the table? What is the point? Why exclude anyone from freely partaking of this meal if they desire to partake of it? People of God, the stranger is excluded from the meal because in the meal we commune with our God. In the meal we commune with our God. What is it that makes the Passover such an exclusive feast? 
There are other ways God's people are supposed to care for the stranger and the outsider. In fact, you know, Israel is supposed to leave some of the grain from the harvest for foreigners to be able to pick and gather that they might not starve when they are in a land that is not their own. Foreigners could seek refuge in the city of refuge if they accidentally uh, uh, killed someone through manslaughter. They had many of the privileges that belonged to them by being among the people of God and living in that land, but not the privileges of eating this meal and eating at this particular table. Why? What is it about this table? What is it about this meal that excludes them? When you take the time to go through the scriptures and look at eating in the Bible, you might be surprised to find that eating in the Bible is a really big deal. It's always a big deal because eating communicates fellowship. And in this case, especially fellowship with God himself. Genesis 14, after Abraham has been victorious over his enemies, the king of peace, Melchizedek, who is this great priest of God, he comes out and they eat bread and wine together. And the idea is even as they commune with one another, As he is a priest of God, they are communing with God over this meal and in this meal. The same thing happens in Exodus 24 after the law of God is given to God's people especially. The elders and Moses sit down at the foot of the mountain where God is dwelling, where he has made his name known. And when they sit down, they eat a meal together. They commune with their God in this particular meal, sitting at his feet When Ezra and Nehemiah renew the covenant of God, they call the people to eat and drink with their God, to do so in his presence. Even when the sacrifices, the ordinary sacrifices that were given, they would be eaten after they had been offered to God, they would be eaten either by the priest who was standing mediating between God and man or by the people or both together, always with this idea of communing with their God because of the sacrifice that had been made. And this will go all the way to the end of Revelation where God's people will at the end of all things sit down together and eat and drink at the wedding feast of the Lamb of God where they will commune with one another and with God himself. You see people of God eating in the Bible, it is always a big deal because it doesn't just communicate fellowship, it is fellowship with and communion with a holy and triune God. You are eating with God. And it's always a big deal because in the table, in our eating and drinking, it demonstrates physically a spiritual reality that is going on, a spiritual union with a holy God that we have been set apart with him and for him. And that uh, communion stretches across all the pages of Holy Scripture. And it is even heightened for us as you come to the New Testament and the Lord's Supper. We read in 1 Corinthians 11 this morning that some were getting sick and even dying because they were not discerning the body and blood of the Lord, which is why we exclude non-members and children who cannot yet discern from this meal so that they do not eat and drink judgment upon themselves. That is why we fence the table of the Lord. Why we take time, each time we partake of the Lord's Supper, it is explained who can 
and cannot partake in this meal, there is a real and serious caution that isn't just for uh, a tradition's sake. There is a real caution that comes to those who eat at the table of the Lord who do not belong. And that is offensive to some this day. People of God, we do not want to offend strangers and sojourners for no good reason. But we cannot remove the offense of the gospel itself. For it is no gospel at all. Telling an unbeliever that they are a sinner is an offense. It's an offense given so that they might have life in Christ who died for the ungodly, who died for the unrighteous. The gospel is an offense and the table of the Lord is a visible picture of the gospel. When we partake of the true lamb of God whose blood was shed, whose body was broken, and yet not one of this precious lamb of God's bones were broken, that we might know he is the true lamb of God. We are partaking of and participating in this particular communion with our God. And in this bread and in this wine, we commune with their God. It shows us what God has done spiritually in saving his people, and it is a real and tangible thing. And it is as real and as tangible as the bread that you will put in your mouth and the wine that you drink. You see, people of God, we cannot take the Lord's Supper lightly or the fencing of the table lightly. As verse 49 says, it shall be a law for all, both stranger and native. Do not approach the table in an unworthy manner, namely, if you're outside the covenant community or if you're unregenerate. That is who is restrained from the table. There is an exclusive limit put on the bounds of the table that is set as you commune with one another and as you commune with God. And yet, and yet, even as this ex- uh, uh, description, even as this instruction is given about excluding others. The whole point of it all is we are to see people of God is that God gives us his people, the whole assembly of the people of God who are gathered together, the table of our Lord. Those who are members of the covenant community who can discern the body and blood and know that here the gospel is being declared anew to you, then come Eat, remember, and believe that this is my body broken for you. Come and partake in the benefits of redemption. There are benefits that belong to those who belong to the covenant community. And they come through the one who is the Lamb of God who sheds his blood, but whose bones are not broken. And they come for the whole of the people of God that we would have communion and fellowship with one another and with him. People of God, this is the gospel. It may not sound like it because we're talking about the Lord's Supper, but surely the Lord's Supper is the visible gospel going forth. We believe these truths that are spoken over us and at the meal we communicate these truths are spoken over his people. We identify that we are part of that people, a people who is broken a people who has been born in bondage and in sin and yet who have been delivered out of that sin into a life that is set apart, made holy by him who is holy and draws us into communion with him. People of God, may we 
consider these things, as we consider the table of our Lord, may we consider how we approach the table, not with fear. If you are a child of God, this table is set for you and it is lovingly displayed for you what our God has spoken over you, that you belong in communion and fellowship with him. May we be cautious and careful about including any without question, without concern. Amen. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we come before you and we do thank you that you take guard to care or, uh, uh, you take care to guard the table and we pray that you would help us to take care to guard the table as well even examining ourselves as best as we are able when we come for there are exclusive claims that come with the gospel surely you are the only the way only way truth and life there is only way to the father And not all roads lead to heaven, but this one indeed does. Father, may we indeed protect the table of our Lord as we contemplate and realize that in it we are seeing with our eyes and tasting with our lips the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, that the Lamb of God has indeed been slain and uh, for sinners such as us. May we remember these truths and realize that these benefits have been given in order to strengthen our weak faith and strengthen our weak knees. Our Lord, we thank you for the grace that you give to us and that you display even in the holy table of our Lord. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.